You're listening to the Uplifting Content Podcast with Ioni Butler. Join me every Tuesday to hear conversations with remarkable guests on a wide range of topics. The goal with this podcast is to introduce you to new ideas and techniques that will inspire and uplift you. Today, let's talk about holistic beauty and holistic plastic surgery with Dr. Tony Yoon. I mean, really in the end, true beauty is holistic and it's looking at mm-hmm. yourself, not just from what you see on a selfie. Mm-hmm. It really starts with your health and it starts with, with your health. It goes to your confidence. You know, it goes to how you carry yourself. My guest today is a slightly unusual guest in terms of his profession from usual podcast guests that we have on this show. But I was fascinated by the work that he does and the messages and the stories that he has to share. Today's guest is Dr. Tony Yoon, a holistic anti-aging health and wellness expert who specializes in using dietary changes, revolutionary products, and non-surgical cosmetic treatments to improve overall health and appearance. His holistic beauty is a whole-body approach to health, wellness, and looking your best. It consists of addressing the full spectrum of factors that influence aging and appearance, including an anti-aging diet, age-reversing activities, a non-toxic environment, mindfulness, natural skin care, and non-invasive treatments, with surgical solutions utilized as a final resort. Dr. Yoon advocates that with such a wealth of options and tools available, the vast majority of people can get the look they've always wanted without going under the knife. He is the host of the Holistic Plastic Surgery Show and author of The Age Fix. In this episode, we spoke about Dr. Yoon's journey to working in holistic plastic surgery, what holistic beauty is, holistic beauty treatments that don't involve surgery, the Kardashianization of the younger generation, general medicine and the direction it is moving towards, the growing trend towards functional medicine, his new book, Playing God, The Evolution of a Modern Surgeon, and more. Dr. Yoon has kindly offered to give away a copy of his latest book. I also highly recommend you check out his website for fantastic advice about alternative anti-aging solutions. We'll have links to the giveaway and his website and details in the show notes. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast, leave us a review, share it with anyone that you think might like it. And if you haven't already, Subscribe to my weekly-ish email update, which is never weekly because I'm terrible with consistency. Please forgive me. But when you sign up, you'll also get a special free gift as a thank you, which is access to our awesome Uplifting Content Summit. So without further ado, enjoy this week's show. Tony, how are you doing? (laughs) Great. Thank you so much for having me on, Ioni. My pleasure. I was just saying, I'm very excited to have this conversation because having a, a plastic surgeon is not a typical guest for the Uplifting Content Podcast. But what is incredible about you is it's not, you're more than that. Um, and so I would love for you to share with the audience a bit about your unique approach. Um, and so I guess my first question would be, uh, how would you like to introduce yourself or what's your story? How did you get to where you are today? Yeah. So I started out, I did four years of medical school. I did uh, four, three years of general surgery residency, two years of plastic surgery residency, mm. and a year of fellowship out in Beverly Hills. So I did all of the normal kind of traditional training to become a plastic surgeon. And then I only, I found myself starting up my own practice, and this is part of my new book, but in the end, what I, I found myself really hitting this pinnacle of success where I was operating on people all over the country and people flying in even from other countries. And I thought that I had really hit the pinnacle. And I had this patient come in to see me one day 
Uh, she was a woman who was in her late 50s, early 60s. And she said something that I hear from so many women as they get older. She said, mm-hmm. you know what, Dr. Yoon, I feel invisible. And I go out with my friends and my friends have, some of my friends have had stuff done and this and that. And I feel like people don't pay attention to me anymore. And it's mm. like, I feel this like the society doesn't pay attention to me anymore. And she said, I know some of my friends have had facelifts and they had their eyelids done. And she said, I've got this extra skin on my neck. Could you do a facelift on me? So I, look at, I looked at her and everything you know, seemed to be pretty reasonable. I said, well, yeah, that's fine. Let's do it. So I do her surgery and it goes super smoothly, Ione, like three and a half hours, no problems. And as I'm driving my car back uh, to my office, I get paged from the nurse taking care of her. 911, patient is bleeding. Mm. Now, mm. as a plastic surgeon, I know that if you get bleeding with a facelift, it goes from zero to 60 in like minutes. Mm. And the thing we worry is that the neck fills up with blood and people can actually stop breathing because of it. Oh my God, that's terrifying. Yeah, so I, I whip my car around, I hit the gas pedal, and I zip back to the hospital. I run up the stairs, run into her room, and... I don't see my patient sitting there. I see somebody who resembles Jabba the Hutt. Oh, no. Her neck is is so filled up with blood that I grab a pair of gloves, not even sterile. I take a pair of scissors and I cut all of her stitches out. And I'm literally grabbing handfuls of blood out of her neck at bedside with her husband watching. Oh, my God. I rush her to surgery, stop the bleeding, relift everything up. And the great thing is three weeks later, she looked amazing. Like Uh she had never had anything done, was so happy with it. But that event really sent me reeling because I thought, here I thought that I had reached the pinnacle of success, and I have this patient with a near-death complication. You must have been traumatized. Well, I mean, <laughs> but I'm a surgeon, you know. I'm used yeah. to worrying about this stuff. Right. But at that time, I said, you know, there's got to be a better way. And that's really got me into learning about a lot of the things that I didn't learn during my training, mm-hmm. learning about nutrition and just the massive impact that what you eat can play on how your skin looks and how quickly you age learning about clean skincare that I didn't learn about when I was a resident or, you know, trained to be a plastic surgeon and all of the plethora of non-invasive and minimally invasive options that we can use to help use actual surgery as an absolute last resort. So that's what really got me started on this Mm, direction. That's an incredible story. And so, so you were working as a surgeon in these places what, what was the change? Did you then start studying a bunch of these alternative things? Did you start incorporating different things in your practice? Yeah, I mean, I was trained by, you know, great surgeons. Um, but in surgery, there is this mentality where it's basically a statement to cut is to cure. Mm. That's what you learn as, as a surgeon. And so that you, you learn that that's the epitome is you want to operate on people. Well, in reality, that's also what can cause people to potentially die. And that's always on my mind. And so, yes, that's what I did is I started looking at, okay, what are the, what are the things can I do to help my patients? And it opened up this, this plethora of options from, once again, eating the right foods, treating the microbiome, okay? The microbiome, the gut. trillions of bacteria in the gut can have a profound impact on how your skin looks. Mm. And then not necessarily just going with those skincare products that are sold to doctors to resell, but looking at them and actually looking at those ingredients and saying, you know, there are thousands of ingredients that are potentially dangerous that are outlawed in the European Union. And there's really like a dozen Mm -hmm. in the United States. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's really paying attention to all of that and and really trying to put this in a way where my followers and my patients can hopefully not only improve how they look and how they feel, but even improve their health as well. So I would love to get into what some of these alternatives are and uh, some of the 
treatments that you that you provide people with but also the, th- the one of the main things that really stuck out to me is when you said that woman came in and she said i and you get it from like some older patients i don't feel like i'm being seen anymore and i definitely found myself going down that rabbit hole like feeling like i wasn't getting attention and i tried getting lip fillers and I got a bit of attention from the lip fillers and I was like, Oh, now I'm going to keep doing these. And I, I wanted to try this baby Botox and all these other little things. And it, and then what was really sad is I was doing these things and then I, the attention, I wasn't noticing the attention anymore. And I could see how for some people it can become this vicious cycle where just how you look isn't the answer. And so how does, how does that factor into the work you do? Is, is there like a psychological element to your work? I mean, really in the end, true beauty is holistic and it's looking at mm-hmm. yourself, not just from what you see on a selfie or what some guy at the coffee shop says or looks at you. Mm-hmm. It really starts with your health and it starts with, with your health. It goes to your confidence. You know, it goes to how you carry yourself. And, you know, it's even more than what I can recommend. You know, I'm not a fashion expert, so I can't recommend my patients wear a certain type of an outfit. Uh, But there definitely is a big difference in how you carry yourself and having that self-confidence that, yeah, you know what? I'm a 60-year-old woman, but I look darn good, you Mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. and not even I look darn good for 60, but I look darn good. And if somebody doesn't pay attention to me, then that's their problem, you Mm -hmm. know, and so what, you know, I see maybe 30 people I can in my office every day and I can try to affect 30 people's lives. But I, what I try to do now is uh, spend a lot more time doing what you're doing, going, I've, I've got a podcast, mm-hmm. going on YouTube, going on Instagram and trying to help people more on the thousands a day versus just those 30. That's a, that's a, that's a smart way of doing it. <laughs> and it's great. You're a great speaker and I was listening to your podcast. It's a great concept too. Um, so yeah, that's, it's a, it's a good way to reach more people. Um, what, so what are some of these holistic, uh, well, plastic surgery options? And then on the, on an, as another question, what are some holistic beauty treatments that don't involve surgery? Yeah. Um, so as far as non-surgical options, so for example, I have something called my holistic beauty blacklist. Mm. And there's something on my website, drune.com, where basically I list procedures that are very popular, a lot of them very popular today that I don't recommend either because they don't work mm-hmm. or because they're dangerous or because of both. Now, one of the most trendy cosmetic surgeries today is BBL, Brazilian butt lift. And mm. that's basically taking fat from one part of the body, injecting it into the butt. Now, back in the day when people were doing butt implants a lot, we were taught, and, and I even encouraged my people to consider, and I did this operation to, to say, you know what, the butt implants are too high risk, too high risk of infection and stuff. Use fat instead, and that's a better way to get that behind that you may be looking for. Mm-hmm. Well, unfortunately, Ioni, what we found is that that surgery has the highest mortality rate in all of plastic surgery. I did not what? know that. That's There terrible. was a study, yeah, they showed that one in 3,000 women who undergo this operation will die from it. Oh my. And, and these are not 65-year-old women undergoing facelifts who have multiple you know, medical issues. This, these are typically young women and often young women of color mm. who feel that they're being kind of not necessarily coerced but influenced to have this done because they see all these people on Instagram and social media with these big behinds. Mm. So what can you do? Okay, there is a non-invasive option called M-Sculpt. M-Sculpt mm. uses electromagnetic frequency waves to stimulate your muscles to contract 20,000 times in a 30-minute session. 
Whoa. And you can put these two paddles onto each product cheek and it will stimulate those muscles to contract 20,000 times. And studies show that after four treatments spaced over two weeks, you can increase the thickness of muscle by 15%. You can reduce the fat by 19%. And those people who have it done on their tummy after having children, they can reduce the space between those muscles, the diastasis, by 11%. And those results seem to last six to 12 months, possibly even, even longer. I want one of those. That sounds fantastic. Yes. <laughs> so that's just one example where you take something that's potentially dangerous, that's and very popular, and you say, hey, look, let's, let's find a better answer for that. And there you go, it's M-Sculpt. But the problem is M-Sculpt, it's, it's expensive for a doctor to buy it. You know, the Ooh. treatments are not cheap, but you're not going to die after having M-Sculpt. That's, that's the benefit of it. Right, right, right. My understanding is invasive surgery is too quite expensive, right? What's the price oh, yeah. comparison? Well, you could spend upwards of fifteen dollars to $20,000 for a BBL. For the M-Sculpt, it's typically $3,000, I think, is a minimum price that they require you to charge for that set of four treatments. So it's still not cheap by any means. But it's but, Yeah, but you got to look at it, obviously, from a safety perspective. Mm. Really, with all of these medical procedures, especially surgery, you know, if something goes wrong, you can get disfigured and even die. So you just no. have to be very careful and, and aware. But, but so what you were saying was that the invasive one is like fifteen to 20,000, and this BBL vibrating butt pads, that's 3,000. Yes. That's yeah. But you're not going to get quite the same result. So that right. you have to also, you know, the same thing with liposuction and we have non-invasive fat reduction too. So you can either freeze fat using cool sculpting or in my office, we have one called sculpture where we heat up the fat with a laser mm -hmm. and you can reduce after two treatments, the thickness of fat by upwards of 20 to 24%. Mm -hmm. And that's a non completely non-invasive option, you know, versus liposuction, which is surgery with its own potential risks. Right, right, right. Whoa. What has been some examples or times where you have um, turned patients away? Who's not suitable for surgery? Well, right now, what we're seeing in our office, which is really um, concerning, is a massive influx of young, beautiful women in their 20s who are profoundly dissatisfied with how they look. Mm. And typically, they bring selfies of them. Sometimes they bring selfies from very different angles. And what they typically complain of is that they have some asymmetry, one cheek a little higher than the other, one eyebrow a little higher the, than the other. And it really, truly bothers them to the point where they don't feel attractive. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to understand. It's hard to empathize because you see women, you know, I'm in my 40s and I wish I looking knew how good I looked in my 20s. by the way. Yeah, but well, you also look fantastic. But do you think I look good now? I look much better in my 20s, yeah. but I didn't realize that. And so, yeah, so yeah. we have all these young women, especially, and young men who are in their 20s who are holding themselves up to an unrealistic standard. And it's, it's something I call the Kardashianization of our young people, yeah. where there are studies that show that when young people take photos and they go on Facetune and they, and they, take, they alter their pictures, they're all making it to themselves literally look like Kim Kardashian. Yeah. It's a higher cheekbones. It's a thinner jawline. It's a pointier chin. It's bigger lips. And really what it is is everybody wants to look like that. And it's one thing if you do it on a, you know, on a photo app. But it's another thing if you go to a plastic surgeon's office and now you're getting injections and stuff done to change your face. I mean, you're in your 20s and, and the vast, vast majority of people in their 20s don't need anything done. Right, right. So, that, so do you turn those women away then? Those we do. Eyebrow, yeah. 
Yeah, because, you know, there's certain things that aren't necessarily harmful, you know, so obviously getting the right skincare and stuff, even Botox, you know, Botox is something that's invasive, it's a needle. But in general, the worst thing that can happen that we've seen in my practice is maybe a droopy eyelid for a few months. Mm-hmm. It's the filler, the fillers that are really popular amongst young people, because that's what can give them the higher cheekbones, the bigger lips. But the problem with fillers is that if a filler is an injectable filler is accidentally injected into a blood vessel, people can get severe scarring from it. They can lose parts of their nose, parts of their lip, oh, and people have even gone blind from improperly injected fillers. Mm. And that's what a lot of young people don't realize. They see it on Instagram. You know, they see celebrities doing it, influencers, and they think it's really easy. You know, and most people do great with it. But once again, you got to understand those potential risks. I'm just fascinated to hear a bit more about. So you've got a book coming out, which is all about, called Playing God. Um, what do you mean by this? As a surgeon, do you, do you feel like you've do you, have you ever felt like you've you're playing God? I mean, I guess the intro story that you told us about. I mean, at the time, I don't think you felt that way, but you had someone's so, life in your hands. Yeah. So it's kind of you know some people have said that and like, geez who do you think you are? Your title is playing God. You think you're God. And it's like, no, it's actually the opposite. And let me just tell you a quick story of where this whole playing God came from. I had a woman who came to see me. She was in her, I think she was early, she was in her sixties and she had had a tummy tuck done by a different doctor and afterwards developed horrible complications. So she walked in my office on a cane looking in terrible pain. And she says, Dr. Yoon, will you please help me? She says, I've seen 15 other plastic surgeons. They've all turned me down. You're my last hope. And I said, well, well, what's going on? And she said, look, I had a tummy tuck done by another doctor and everything went wrong. I developed some type of flesh eating bacteria. I had an infection on my tummy. Half the skin of my tummy turned black and it died. I was in the hospital for months. I had skin grafts. And right now my tummy is this scarred up mess. I'm in so much pain. I feel terrible about how I look. My husband won't even look at me. Mm. And she said, you know what? I just ask you to help me with one thing. The worst part of all of this is that I can't play with my granddaughter. You know, that's all I ask you. So if you could just help me play with my granddaughter again. So I only, I looked at her medical history and she was a medical disaster. She Mm. was on blood thinners. She'd had heart attacks in the past. She was a diabetic. She was on 20 different medications. And any doctor would look at this and say, this is not a patient for me to do an elective operation on. Mm -hmm. But I, I felt that something different. And I felt that it was the right thing to do. I had this peace about it. And I can only tell you that it, it, it's a piece that would come from somewhere up above. So I looked at her and I said, look, you know, I go, I, she goes, look, 15 other doctors turned me down. Please, please help me. She's pleading with me. And I said, look, no, no promises. I said, we could do this operation. I said, you could die from this. You could, you could develop blood clots and this and that. I said, are you sure you want to do this? And she said, please, like my life is over unless you help me. Mm. So the night before her surgery, I was wide awake. I couldn't sleep very well. And I basically prayed to God to help me to help this patient because I knew I couldn't really do it myself. Like everything you looked at said, this is not the person to operate on. Mm-hmm. So I bring her to surgery the next day. And it's almost as if my hands were being guided. And the surgery went so, so smoothly. Six weeks later, she comes into my office, no cane. And with a big smile on her face, carrying a carrot cake. Mm -hmm. And she says, Dr. Yoon, this is for you. This cake is for you. She said, I know my insurance rejected the payment on this. And she said, I don't have any money to pay you. Will you accept this carrot cake as payment in full? Mm -hmm. I said, well, of course I will. And she said, I need to tell you something. I said, what is that? She said, yesterday, for the first time in over a year, 
I played with my granddaughter for the first time. And she started tearing up. And she said, she asked me, she said, why did you do it? And I said, well, do what? She said, why did you take a chance on me when all the other doctors turned me down? And I said, you know what? I just had this sense that it was the right thing to do. And no matter what happened, you know, that it was going to be just fine. And she said, you know, other doctors I met with, they act like they're God, you know, not you. They act like they're playing God, but not you. Why is that? And I said, you know what? And this is where the title of my book, Playing God, comes from. I said, you know what? It's, I don't play God. I'm not God. If anything, I, I need God to help me because of, you know, when I hit a, a situation like this, there are those times where I doubt myself and I wonder, you know, can I, can I do this? And I know that at those times that I've got somebody watching my back and, and looking over my shoulder, maybe even helping guide my hands. Mm. So I'm just a doctor. And, and that's where the whole idea of playing God and that term came from. It's not that I think I am, but I do think that that's something that we think that are, that unfortunately the old fashioned surgeons, some of them believe that. And, mm. and it really is truly is the opposite is reality. Mm. And how, how do you see the medical profession shifting and evolving? Do you, do you see a lot of changes or is it still very stuck? No, I do see a lot of changes. And that's the whole subtitle of my book, The the Evolution of a Modern Surgeon, Mm. is that there are doctors and surgeons nowadays are very different than what they used to be. And if you talk to nurses in the hospital, they'll tell you that today's doctors are very different. They're more empathetic. They work as more of a team. You know, it's not this one, the surgeon lording over everybody and telling everybody what to do. Mm. It's it's a whole other thing. And so, yes, there's still those old-fashioned doctors out there who you know, abide by that to cut is, you know, to, to cut is to cure mentality. Mm. But more and more, they're getting phased out for the modern surgeon who looks at things more holistically, who looks at themselves, not as God, but as, you know, one piece of that treatment puzzle to help patients. And really the focus is, is going towards the patient and not towards the doctor. And, and that's the great thing about where in general, I think the practice of medicine is going with today's doctors. That's reassuring. And, and is, that, is, that, is that coming, do you think, mostly from the experience of being out in the field doing the practice? Are they, or are they starting to make those changes in medical school? Is, are you aware of that happening? Because I know that, like you were saying earlier, not, there's not a lot, you hardly learn anything about nutrition. Like, are those things starting to change at medical school? Slowly, these so. things are changing. I think a lot of it stems in surgery, though, from our training. And, you mm-hmm. know, what happened when I went through training, I would work 80 to 100 hours some weeks where I would just be doing, I'd be up so much, be treated so poorly at times by certain old-fashioned surgeons. And this is something that you hear all across the country, especially when I trained. And so that what would happen is, is, is young surgeons would be beat down right. and they would get bitter. Mm. And, they, and, and ones that are not enlightened to what they're going through would get to, would, would say, geez, when I'm a senior surgeon, when I'm an attending surgeon, I'm going to treat those people the same way I was treated. Mm. Okay? Instead, the enlightened doctors are looking at it and saying, this is not the right way. There's a better way to do this. And when I get to that point, I'm going to treat people better. And, and that's, that was kind of how I went through is it, is that when I got to that point, it's like, you know what, I know what it's like to be that young doctor who's being treated poorly. I'm not, and I made this decision when I started residency as a surgeon that I'm not going to allow it to change me and become that bitter doctor, that old fashioned doctor who, you know, treats other people poorly because that's how they were treated. There are laws that have gone through now that mm. have limited the amount of hours that residents are working. And so that's a, a, a good first step. And, and same thing now that you're talking about is adding things like nutrition, more, more of this type of stuff, so that we're not just looking at cutting, but so much more holistically at the patient and even our training. 
That makes me happy because I, I kind of have a, a quite a jaded look about the sort of the medical and the pharmaceutical industry here and just how it's set up that like people make money by you being sick and taking drugs. And so I've always just been like, Ugh. but it, it's, it's nice to hear that there's some movement in the right direction to kind of address so, the root cause of something rather than... Exactly. And it's that trend towards functional medicine. And mm. so if you look at the big selling books nowadays, they're all typically functional medicine doctors, doctors like Dr. Mark Hyman, um, Dr. Stephen Gundry, um, you know, Dr. Uh, Joel Kahn, good friend of mine. It's all about how do you, tr- how, not how do you treat the symptoms of disease, but how do you get to that root cause of disease and change things in your life to, to prevent d- disease from happening? And I'm looking at even with me, with what I do at the same way, like how do we prevent people from getting to that point where the only option is to have a bunch of facial surgery to make them happy? Mm. You know, we get them healthy, we get them taking care of their skin early, you know, and, and that's really the best way to go. What, what have you learned in, in being a plastic surgeon? What has it taught you about love and how to find true happiness? Can I tell you a little story that you might enjoy? I'd love you to. Okay. So um, this also is from my book, but so I, um, I'd hit rock bottom in my practice, Ione. I was early in practice. I had some patients who were very upset with me. I had some outcomes that I, that you can't control sometimes. And is this around about the time of the, the woman, the, the facelift woman, when you started to pivot? Or? That was, yes, this was before that, but it was getting to that point. Mm-hmm. And I had, um, I had actually considered quitting medicine altogether because I thought I was such a failure as a doctor. Hmm. So one night at, at that time, I was called to see a patient in consultation. This is an older woman in her 70s who had had open heart surgery. Now, when you do open heart surgery, what you do is you have to crack the chest. The surgeon literally cuts the sternum in half to get hmm. at the heart to repair the vessels. Hmm. And what they do afterwards is they take a wire and they wire the sternum, the breastbone back together. Mm. Well, if that gets infected, if it doesn't heal well, the the wires come apart and literally the chest uh, bone turns to mush. So that's happened to this poor woman. She got her chest infected and they called me to help fix her up because what we do then is we take muscles from the chest and from the tummy and move them into that area to bring new blood supply to get rid of that infection. Hmm. So they called me to see this woman. I bring her to surgery. I did this five to six hour operation. I finished at two in the morning and I was exhilarated because I thought I really did something good for this woman. And over the next six weeks, I went to see her every single day and I saw her ex- to slowly get better, to exit from the ICU to the regular floor and eventually get ready to be transferred to a rehab unit where they're going to strengthen her and eventually get her going back home. And I felt really good that I did something good for this woman. And literally, as she was going to get discharged, I missed uh, rounding on her one day. I was working real late one night. And I said, you know, I'm just going to see her in the morning. And I get to the hospital the next morning, and I look her up. I walk into her room, and she's not there. And mm. I go, oh, that's odd. So I look her up on the computer, and she's been transferred back to the ICU. Mm. So this was, once again, at a time where I had lost confidence in myself and thought that it, it was that I should give, it up, give up being a doctor. And so the first thing that enters my head, what do you think, is, Tony, you screwed up. You know, what did you do? You didn't see her last night. Something must have happened and this is your fault. Mm -hmm. So I run to the ICU thinking that, what did I do? This has to be my fault. And I I run there and I see her on the ventilator. There's no color to her skin. Um, She's completely unconscious. And her grand, I I see her grandson. I said, what happened? And he was teary and he said, she had a massive heart attack last night and they say that she's going to die. So I take a look at her and her chest has healed completely. You know, it wasn't something that I did. It was basically, she had a heart attack. I couldn't do anything about that. Yeah. And here I look over this poor woman who I spent, you know, the last month and a half, two months taking care of. 
And the only thing I could think of to do, Ioni, was to hold her hand. So mm. I grab her hand in mine, I hold her hand, and I pray for her. And I tell her uh, grandson, I said, look, you know, there's nothing much I can do, but if you don't mind, I'd love to see her every day and just see if there's anything ever that, you know, I can end up doing for her. And he said, you know, we appreciate it. You don't need to do that, but thank you. So for the next two weeks, every day I come in to see her, and the only thing I can think of to do is hold her hand. And I go and hold her hand for a few minutes and maybe say a prayer, maybe not, and then leave. And two weeks into it, every single day they're telling me that it's just, it's, it's a matter of hours that she's going to die and she, mm. nothing is changing. So two weeks into it, I, I'm about to grab her hand and I, I swear I feel her hand move into mine. Mm. And I don't know if I saw it or if I felt it or what. And um, so I hold her hand for a few minutes and then the next day I come in and holy crap, she is sitting up in bed, breathing, no breathing tube, smiling at me. Mm. And I go, oh my God, look at you. And she said, I said, everybody wrote you off. And she said, I guess I'm not dead yet. And I go, no, you're not. And I said, I think you're going to be okay. And she says, you know what, Dr. Tina, I need to tell you something. I said, what is that? And she said, I knew. I said, well, you knew what? She said, I knew that every day you came in and you held my hand. And she said, and it honestly made all the difference. I look forward to having you come in to hold my hand. And she said three words after that, that I remember to this day. She said, you saved me. Mm. And at that time, I was at that time in my practice where I really had hit rock bottom. And I told her, you know what? You saved me too. Because this was, after that was the beginning of me really letting things go. And that was the first start of me getting to the, building my practice and my confidence and really becoming the doctor that I wanted to be. Mm. Um, and I share that with you because there, is even, there are studies that even show that how you treat a patient can impact their outcome and has a statistically significant impact on the patient's outcome. It's not mm. as powerful as putting them on the right medication or performing the right operation, but how a doctor and a patient interacts and the quality of that interaction does impact their final outcome. I'm kind of curious about the about sort of self-love and finding true happiness for others. If you've kind of got lessons, so like someone can take that lesson from you so that somebody can use that for themselves. Yeah, Is that just showing up more for people? Yeah. And there's beauty and just the fact of showing something as simple as holding a person's hand mm -hmm. and showing kindness, you know, you can really impact a person's life more than you would ever think. You know, at the time when I was coming and holding hand, I thought it meant nothing. I didn't think that she would ever know this. I didn't think that it, that, you know, it's just, it's my futile attempt to try to do something to help this poor woman. Mm -hmm. But I think what we don't realize is that the little things do really matter. And, you know, if you're a doctor, then how you treat your patients really matters. If you're not a doctor and you're just, you know, you have a person who's struggling, sometimes even just being with them and those things that you think don't mean a difference, just giving them a call and, and those little things can really make a difference in a person's life. And sometimes you don't realize it when it's happening and you only find out later on. Right. One of the questions I like to ask and is, like to ask is uh, what would be a call to action? What would be something that the, the listeners or um, viewers can do? And so I think that would be a lovely one, just knowing that you can make a difference, those small actions, looking at how you're speaking to people, what kind of you're giving them, how the, the way you're treating them, how it's making an impact. And don't discount the little things that you're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, Here I am holding your hand thinking that it's a futile, stupid attempt for me to try to do something. In reality, it made a big difference. And so mm -hmm. do those little things. And even if you don't think, even if you think it's silly, you know, you may be affecting somebody much more than you realize. Right, right. Um, 
I want to go back to the book. Thank you so much for offering to give away a copy of Playing God, The Evolution of a Modern Surgeon. Um, how, how's that going? Has that just come out? How's things going with the yep. book release? It's going great. So we have all these people who are sharing it, who are really enjoying it. Uh, and really, it's my story of becoming a modern surgeon. And, and it's kind of giving you that that backstory of what the modern doctor needs to go through to get to where they are today. And I hope people really enjoy it. It's a, it's a quick, fun read. Uh, hopefully you'll laugh. You may cry at certain areas, but it's definitely something that, uh, that people are saying are really affecting them in many, many levels. I love it. So we'll have information. Uh, we'll have links to your website, which is a fantastic resource, by the way. You, you touched on that Thank before, you. but you know, your list about surgeries to not to, that you don't recommend and um, sort of blog posts and your, you've got a podcast. So there's lots of stuff there. Um, just to touch on too, because you look fantastic for being in your forties. Um, what are some of the anti-aging um, options that you have? <laughs> yeah. So first thing is skincare is super important. Yeah. So I have something that we recommend on our, we have a, an online store, dryunonline.com. Something mm. that I call the two minutes, five years younger skincare routine. So mm. it's four different products. Very simple. It takes two minutes a day. And after putting people on it for a good six to eight weeks, we found that they could look upwards of five years younger just by doing those two minutes. And so it's four products. It's the right cleanser. It's a, an antioxidant serum. It's a retinol moisturizer and exfoliant. If that's all you do is use these four products and you follow that plan, you're going to be way ahead of most of your friends. I love that. And so you were saying that you've started transitioning more to video content, the podcast. What's like kind of like the next chapter for you? Do you, do you think that maybe the surgery, you might tone that down and get into like more speaking and things like that? What's, what's next on your journey? Yeah, for me, I think the next big thing is to create a um, a program that people can do over the span of several weeks where they can change their diet. You know, one of the big things we're looking at that's super anti-aging is fasting and intermittent fasting. Oh, I'm we so haven't even talked about that. Yes. I am all about fasting. Yes. Yeah, so it's the autophagy that you can get from that. So combining that with the right types of diets, eating the right types of proteins and the right types of carbs at the right times, combine that with the right skincare and then certain at home treatments that's my next big thing. So we'll be coming out with that hopefully within the next year or so. That sounds like a fantastic program. Cool. Yes. I, I'm definitely interested. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need it. You look great. Well, I, I just feel like it's taking care of myself. And the fasting thing is, is interesting because uh, I spoke to a, a, a doctor many years ago that was telling me that uh, when you fast, it kind of triggers, normally our body is digesting food the whole time and that all the energy goes towards that. So when we fast, the body goes into like, okay, let me repair things and do things and do other things that I didn't have the energy to do while I was eating all the time. And so it helps reverse the signs of aging, repairs all sorts of good stuff. But he was saying that fasting is not really a sexy thing that many people want to do because we live in a culture where food is a big deal. Yeah. And he had developed this like pill or something that triggered this enzyme or the gene or whatever it is that, that, that gets your body going into self repair mode. So that's always really fascinated me. And it's not that I am quite happy with the way I look. I think I've got good genetics, but it's just more of this prolonged period of, of watching what I'm eating. I'm, I'm a vegetarian. I try, try not to drink as I've been drinking more than I normally have, but just these general things of just maintenance and taking care and I think it's as simple as for those you know people who are listening and watching, just to do a little intermittent fasting, which essentially the easiest way to think about it is you skip your nighttime snack and you skip breakfast. And mm. if you just do that every so often, you, you know a lot of people find that they feel better, they lose weight, they feel more energetic, 
Uh, and, and it's not nearly as painful if you've been doing it for a while. You know, the first time I started intermittent fasting, I thought, ooh, this is no fun. But now it's like so not a big deal. Yeah. Uh, and you are doing exactly what you said. You're jumpstarting that autophagy where your cells are cleaning themselves out. And there are studies that show that people who fast can, will live longer uh, than people who don't. And it's this idea that if you're constantly eating, it's actually not good for you. Yeah, totally. And, and the amount that people eat too, it's just outrageous. So yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us today, Tony. This has been very insightful and different and brilliant in all, in all good ways. Um, we'll have links to your website, the podcast, which has the podcast and information about the book and everything like that. Um, and yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. This is a, it was a lot of fun. Definitely My a pleasure pe to be on your show. Thank you, everyone. I'll be back next week. Take care of yourselves and please check out some of this information here. See you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Uplifting Content Podcast with me, Ioni Butler. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review so that more people can find it. And to make sure you never miss a beat, subscribe to our weekly dose of uplifting content, which is an email from me about the best of uplifting content from that week, be it giveaways, videos, interviews, all the good stuff. And as a bonus, when you subscribe, you get access to the Uplifting Content Summit for free. The Uplifting Content Summit was an interview series with some fantastic guests, including Jay Shetty, Christine Hassler, Alexi Panos, Preston Smiles, Kyle Cease, Peter Kelly, Jenna Phillips-Ballard, and many more about how to stay uplifted. So if you'd like some tips and advice from some of the best thought leaders, authors, coaches out there, be sure to subscribe to my email update and get access to this summit for free. The link to sign up is in the show notes. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, take care. Bye.